The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 307. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You'll find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com or brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. McClanahan Academy is free to enroll. I've got a lot of great stuff for sale there. And of course, that supports the show. If you go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also go to anchor.fm. You can donate through anchor.fm if you want to. Lots of great ways to help me financially continue to do the show. I understand we're into some hard times right now, but if you do like it and you do have the means to do so, I would appreciate any support you have. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com and clicking on that shop tab at the top of the page. You can get your Brian McClanahan Show logo on all kinds of cool stuff, plus the Think Locally, Act Locally stickers, t-shirts. A lot of people have been buying these stickers and stick on their car. Think Locally, Act Locally. doesn't have my name on it. It's just a slogan. And it's something we should all be doing right now anyways, because when we're looking at the current pandemic crisis and the response to it, this is where you're going to save yourself. So uh, think locally, act locally. Also, please share my material on social media. Rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can download this podcast now if you go to my webpage and click on the article linking to the podcast. You can download it. If people did that for a long time, the ability to do so was taken away because of the new uh, delivery system I was using, but I've gone back to being able to download the podcast. So there's only a few in there that you can't download directly from my webpage. But you can go get those podcasts. So go do all that stuff. And again, if you rate it and you like it, more people are going to see it. More people are going to think locally and act locally. It's what we need to do. All right, so this is a listener-generated episode. Uh, and again, it has to do with with civil liberties. And the question was, question has been asked by several people. I mean, I've gotten this over the last eight weeks or so, more in the last four weeks. But my state, insert your state, has done these things. The governor has done these things. Is it legal? And namely, we're talking about emergency powers in the states. And I have said on this podcast before that the states can do just about anything they want as long as it is not prohibited by the state constitution. I have clearly made that caveat to my statement. And so, first and foremost, to go through all 50 state constitutions, one thing you're going to find, I think, in every state constitution, I used to have a website that did this, and uh, I, I don't. I don't have a link to that anymore, but you will find in every state constitution that the right of the people to peacefully assemble is protected. Because Why? Because, of course, that was in the Bill of Rights. And so as these states wrote constitutions, 
particularly after 1791, they wanted to ensure that the same liberties that were protected in the U.S. Constitution through the Bill of Rights were then protected in the state constitutions as well. Now, this does not mean that the Bill of Rights were incorporated against the states. It does not mean that they applied to this, the Bill of Rights applied to the states. The states had their own protections. You have to understand the Bill of Rights was originally intended to apply only to the general government. It was a restriction on the powers of the general government only. And, of course, the preamble to the Bill of Rights makes this very clear. It does not mean that we don't want these protections at the state level as well. In fact, the argument made against a Bill of Rights by people like Roger Sherman, among others, was that a Bill of Rights was unnecessary. Alexander Hamilton said the same thing. A Bill of Rights was unnecessary because the states already protected those civil liberties. Now, I mentioned, I've mentioned before that James Wilson in his very famous State House Yard speech, which was delivered just a couple of weeks after the Constitution had been signed. This is early October of 1787. He goes out in front of the, the Pennsylvania State House in Philadelphia and gives his State House Yard speech, which essentially everyone reacted to from then on out, where he said, look, Powers of the general government and the state governments are different. And I'm paraphrasing. What, what happens with the general government, we've listed the powers that the general government has. It does not have anything beyond that. The state governments, though, as long as it is not denied by the Constitution, then the states have unlimited powers. So see, the Constitution for the United States for the United States, codifies the powers that that particular government has. It doesn't have any powers beyond that. The state constitutions, to explain this, the state constitution uh, would say these are the powers, these are the things you cannot do, or of course you can do, but you also have powers beyond that. Now, this is interesting because these state constitutions all contain a Bill of Rights, they all contain a direction as to what the state constitutions and what the offices of governor or legislator, legislature can do. But they're very vague. And so what happens in the states is that the legislatures or the governors will do things, and then, of course, this has to be hashed out in court. Now, I want to talk about a particular article that appeared yesterday at lewrockwell.com by Judge Napolitano. Uh, and then, of course, relate this to some other things and looking at some individual states and how these things work. So first and foremost, I've, I've discussed Judge Knapp on this particular podcast before. I really like him. He is a, a, a firmly principled man. And what I mean by that is he is consistent in his positions. It doesn't matter what particular issue you're talking about. I've never seen the man flip-flop. For that reason alone, people should respect Judge Napolitano. Principled people that do not flip-flop on their positions should be respected, even if that, that principle doesn't go with what's trendy or popular at the current time. Okay, so he is a principled individual. I disagree with him on one statement in this piece, but he is right about other things in the piece. And so I got this a couple times. Hey, is Judge Knapp right about this? So let's go, let's look at this article in lewrockwell.com. And the, the article's entitled, The Bill of Rights is Above My Pay Grade. And so he begins, The loss of liberty is at hand every day in America. 
mayors and governors, not one of whom is constitutionally or lawfully empowered to author laws and assign punishments for their noncompliance, or imposing new standards of behavior that nullify liberty in the name of public safety. I've been writing about this since the COVID-19 pandemic arrived in the United States, about the consequences to personal liberty in a free society that are inevitable when those in whose hands we have reposed the Constitution for safekeeping have failed us. Their failures have also been a violation of law. So first, let me start with this. Every day in America, mayors and governors, not one of whom is constitutionally or lawfully empowered to author laws and assign punishments for the noncompliance. This is true to a point. Uh, If the governors have proclamation power or executive order power, they're essentially assigning laws or authoring laws. And... While the state constitutions generally don't grant this power to the governors because they don't deny that power to the governors, the governors can do those things. So, again, states are different than the general government. I would say he's 100% correct about the president, for example, not being allowed to do these things. So if your particular state does not deny this power to the governor, then the governor has proclamation power, the governor has executive order power, which can affect laws and essentially act as laws. Now we can we can criticize this and say, well this is this is ridiculously stupid. We shouldn't allow the governor, it doesn't matter an executive, it doesn't matter if you're at the state level or the federal level, we shouldn't allow an executive to make law. And I would agree with that. The problem is that the states don't deny this power to the governors. Now You could say that the constitutions in every state say that all legislative powers are vested in the legislature. Okay, so if that's the case, if your constitution has specific language that says that, then the governor does not have this type of proclamation or executive order power, just as the United States president does not have those particular powers as well. But... Judge Knapp lives in New Jersey, and so I will cite the New Jersey Constitution when it comes to legislative power. It says the legislative power shall be vested in a Senate and General Assembly. It doesn't say all legislative power. It says the legislative power. And so you could, because of the nature of state constitutions, you could work around this and say, well, It says the legislative power. That means then, therefore, that the legislature could delegate power to the the governor in certain circumstances. Um, And that's where you get into some of the issues where you have a vague nature of these state constitutions. Um, and I think this is, this is where you get into some problems with state constitutions vis-a-vis the federal constitution, because the state constitutions were interpreted differently. Okay. So the U S constitution very clearly says all legislative powers 
herein granted shall be vested in the Congress of the United States. All legislative powers. Not some, not the legislative power, all legislative powers. So the way the states have worked around this is to pass laws. The legislature has passed laws granting certain legislative powers to the governor. And this has allowed the governors in every state to use emergency declaration powers to supersede the Constitution. Now, again, I'm not saying this is a good thing. But this is what's happened over time with these constitutions. And I'll use an example of it in my own state in, in, during this, this podcast. But... He continues, take the governor of New Jersey, for example. In a television interview with my Fox News colleague Tucker Carlson last week, Governor Philip Murphy uttered the words, the Bill of Rights is above my pay grade. He then went on to confess that he had not considered the effect of his restrictive executive orders on the Bill of Rights. His orders are similar to those in other states, yet his are, by his own words, born in ignorance. Here is the backstory. His restrictive orders on the state Bill of Rights is what Judge Knapp should be talking about here. Not the U.S. Bill of Rights, but of course, from a law professor standpoint, from traditional law school jargon, Napolitano was 100% correct. And I'm going I'm to explain this in a second. Here is the backstory. The Constitution requires that every officeholder and government employee in the land the president to a public school janitor form from a governor to a police recruit take an oath to support the Constitution. Now, is he correct about that? Here's what it says in Article 6 of the Constitution. It says, The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers both of the United States and of the several states shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. Now, it does not say all these other people that Napolitano says. Okay. Now, you could get around this and say, well, a janitor, because they work for a school, is a creature of the executive branch and therefore is an executive officer. Or a police policeman is an executive officer. I mean, that's the only way you could get around that. But... Generally, what this was supposed to apply to, of course, were members of the state legislatures and those in the executive and judicial branches of the states, not the employee down the line, the janitor of a school. Okay. Now, again, you could say, well, because they're an employee of the state and because that generally employees of the state work for the executive branch, they are therefore bound by Article 6 of the Constitution to take an oath to support the Constitution. Now, what does that actually mean, though? Of course, Article 6 also has the very famous or infamous Supremacy Clause in it, where it says that you are bound, or the Constitution, I should say, is supreme, if the laws of the United States are made in pursuance thereof. So if they don't violate the Constitution, they are supreme. So if a law is violating the Constitution, it's no law. Okay, so... Let me just get that out of the way. He says, Murphy took an oath when he became the governor of New Jersey in January 2018. The Constitution includes its 27 amendments, the first 10 of which have been referred to since 1791 as the Bill of Rights. 
The Bill of Rights was written by James Madison to restrain the federal government from infringing upon natural rights, the personal freedoms that are integral to our humanity and which form the fabric of American values. Now, this is the one line that, of course, I disagree with him so far. The Fourth Amendment, enacted in 1868, generally imposes the Bill of Rights upon the states. But that's not what it was intended to do. It's how the courts have interpreted. So from a law professor standpoint, well, and following case law in the United States, yes, he's 100% right about this. But that's not what the 14th Amendment was intended to do. And this is a bastardization of the 14th Amendment. You're undermining your entire position by advocating such nonsense. The 14th Amendment does not do this under original intent. It's only through the courts that it has done this. And I've said this to other people before. If you follow this line of logic, let me look. If you want to do this, then don't complain. Don't complain when the states have no powers. Because essentially what you have done here is conceded the entire ground to the general government. There is no federalism anymore with the 14th Amendment. Because that the, the, the United States Congress, the judicial branch, the executive branch, then act as a negative upon every state law. So do not think for a second that the states have any powers if you subscribe to an incorporation doctrine of the 14th Amendment. The states have no powers anymore. So later down the piece, Apollotano says, well, the states have police powers. Not according to the 14th Amendment, they don't. They don't have any powers because they have to then prove that they have these powers in a federal court, and the federal court can say, you don't have these powers. So you have no powers unless the federal government says you have the powers. And of course, he does say, well, I mean, the statute and the courts have said this, but no, 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 this is not the way federalism is designed. The states don't need permission from the general government to do what they're supposed to do, which is police powers. Okay. You have to understand this is, this is a very important distinction to make. Hence, even though the First Amendment reads in part, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedoms of peaceable, peaceable assembly, petition the government following religious beliefs and exercising free speech and press. Today, that language is universally accepted as commanding that no government shall infringe, infringe upon these freedoms. This is Constitutional Law 101. It is inconceivable that Murphy does not know this. If his comment to my colleague was intended as a joke, it was a sick one. The governor's agents have utterly trampled the rights of my fellow New Jerseyans to assemble peacefully to tell the governor what they think of him, and to ask God to intercede in this madness. All right. So I'm going to stop here for a brief break. We're going to come back, finish the NAP article, and then talk about some state constitutions. I've gone a little long on this first segment, so I will see you in just a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. 
So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do, but I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum, or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about state powers vis-a-vis the general government. What can the states do in this state of emergency? What can happen? All these type of things. And I'm reading this article that appeared in lewrockwell.com by Judge Napolitano, where he gets into this argument. He's dealing with the state of New Jersey, of course, where he lives, and what the state of New Jersey, the governor of New Jersey, Governor Murphy, can and cannot do is part of that. So he continues. He says, I have seen some of this. In Murphy's New Jersey, one can sit in a car and wait in line at McDonald's for an order of paper-wrapped cheeseburgers and fries, but one cannot sit in a car and wait in line to pick up cell phone-wrapped palms from a box, cellophane, I'm sorry, cellophane wrapped palms from a box in a Catholic church parking lot on Palm Sunday. No one can sit in a car in a, in a line at town, at town Square, the quintessential venue for expressing political beliefs and grievances with the government, and shout in unison that one thinks of Phil Murphy. That's because the governor's folks have told local and state police, many of whom I know hate doing this because they believe in the Bill of Rights, that their job is to divert, disperse people no matter the reason for their gathering. Now, let me say this. The state, of Con- the state of New Jersey, the Constitution of the state of New Jersey, is very clear about what your liberties are. And so if the governor is denying these liberties, even in a state of emergency, they are denying, they are violating the Constitution of New Jersey. And therefore, this is how we should look at the particular issue. Now, this Constitution was written in 1947. So as I said... This is a newer constitution, and you're going to see, and of course it's been amended several times, all the way through November of 2019. Uh, It says in Article 1, Section 18, the people have the right freely to assemble together to consult for the common good, to make known their opinions to the representatives, and petition for a redress of grievances. So, if the governor is denying this right, he is denying this part of the New Jersey Constitution. And this is where people should be appealing to their rights as protected by a constitution, not their constitutional rights, but their rights as protected by a constitution. They should be appealing first and foremost to the New Jersey Constitution. 
You see, this is very important. Now, Article 1, Section 3 of the New Jersey Constitution. No person shall be deprived of the inestimable privilege of worshiping Almighty God in a manner agreeable to the dictates of his own conscience. So if that's the case, and the manner agreeable means that you you can meet in church, or you have to meet in a congregation, you are denying them their Article 1 rights under the New Jersey Constitution, their Article 1 protections of their rights under the New Jersey Constitution. So see, the governor of New Jersey, through these heavy-handed executive orders, are destroying Article 1 rights as protected, I should say, rights as protected by Article 1 of the New Jersey Constitution. Even I slip into it. Rights protected by Article 1 of the New Jersey Constitution. The Bill of Rights is irrelevant here. That's what we need to understand about this. It's what I said about the Second Amendment sanctuary counties when all of that was going on a little while ago. The Bill of Rights, when it comes to the states, is immaterial. The New Jersey Constitution protects these things. And if if we focus on the Bill of Rights, again, we're undermining our entire position. We shouldn't be looking at a national problem. We should be looking at a local and state solution to this problem. You are violating the New Jersey Constitution by denying people the ability to meet in church and to... uh, peacefully assemble. Now, you could say that you have to have to peacefully assemble, there has to be some type of, you know, social distancing or something like that. You could maybe get around it by saying that. I'm not so certain you could in churches. Now, common sense in a pandemic would dictate that you shouldn't probably do these things. Maybe you should wear a mask. Maybe you should wear gloves. Maybe you should avoid these things for a little while until this pandemic calms down. This is what Americans have done throughout history. When there have been pandemics, Americans have shuttered themselves in place and said, okay, we're not going to go do these things while there's a pandemic. That's just common sense. If you're going to get sick with something that could kill you, If you go to a place where there could be mass communication of this disease, well, then maybe you shouldn't go. I mean, this is where you get into these things. Now, uh, is going to work protected by this particular part of the New Jersey Constitution? People have a right to assemble together to consult for their common good. So you could say, well, I mean, is their common good work? Can the governor shut down transportation, communication, all of these things that they are shutting down? Well, this is where you get into some of the state issues. Now I'm going to continue with Judge Knapp. It's not much longer. Um, he says, let's give the governor his due. He says correctly that it, his, it is his job to protect the health, safety, and welfare of all persons in New Jersey. The 10th Amendment reserves that right and the power to exercise it called police power to the states. Stated differently, the courts have ruled that the states never ceded any police power to the federal government when they joined the union. Who cares what the courts said? I mean, I know that Napolitano is looking at this from as a lawyer and as a judge. And, of course, he's going through you know law school training here. But this is a material the New Jersey Constitution also says all political power is inherent in the people. 
Government is instituted for the protection, security, and benefit of the people, and they have a right at all times to alter or reform the same whenever the public good may require it. So the people have all the power here. All persons by nature are free and independent, have certain natural and unalienable rights, which are those of enjoying and defending life and liberty, of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining safety and happiness. So you could say if you have the if you have the right of acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, well, then that would mean that you have a right to go to work and acquire property, which is your income, right? So you could say that there are some, this is where you get into, though, the state of emergency. He says, but all state power must, Napolitano, but all state power must be exercised subject to individual natural rights protected by the U.S. Constitution. no. He does qualify, and he says, in New Jersey's case, natural rights are also protected by the New Jersey Constitution. That's what he should be saying from the beginning. I mean, look, going to the national is problematic. Okay, it's problematic. We shouldn't be doing that at all. We should be looking at New Jersey. Napolitano should have said, look, you're violating your oath of office to New Jersey. Forget about the U.S. Constitution. To New Jersey, you're doing this. So Murphy is profoundly wrong if he thinks the New Jersey police power can trump federal and state protected and constitutionally enumerated rights in the Bill of Rights. His efforts to make light of that or evade confronting it show that he is unfit for office. When I made these arguments on Fox, I am often met with the view that it is Murphy's job, like that of all governors, to balance personal liberty and public safety. We should give him the benefit of the doubt. That balance argument is a red herring made to seduce the unwary. What is the relationship of liberty to safety in a free society? It's not balanced. King George III claimed he was balancing the rights and safety of the colonists in 1776. The relationship between liberty and safety is bias, a bias in favor of liberty. Liberty is the default position because liberty is the birthright of every person. Government doesn't grant us our liberty. Free people grant the government its powers. We enumerate those powers and impose restraints on their exercise, and the Constitution require everyone in whose hands we have reposed that Constitution to comply with it. This is, he's 100% correct about this. I mean, I just read the part of the New Jersey Constitution that says this. Thomas Jefferson knew this when he characterize our rights as inalienable in the Declaration of Independence, as Madison knew, and Madison knew it when he crafted the Ninth Amendment, so as to bar the government from denying or even disparaging natural rights too numerous to enumerate. This, of course, is for the federal federal government, not the state governments. Can we please, I implore you to avoid this incorporationist argument because you are undermining your entire position. All right, so New Jersey is very clear, but let's. I'm going to go to my own state. I live in Alabama. I'm going to go to my own state, and I'm going to talk about what the conflict here in the state of Alabama and the Constitution of Alabama, because they are two different things. Okay. Um, you have statute, and then you have the Constitution. And this is where you get into all kinds of fun stuff. Um when it comes to what you can do and what you can't do. Article, I'm sorry, Section 36 of the Alabama State Constitution says that this enumeration of certain rights shall not impair or deny others retained by the people and to guard against any encroachments on the rights herein retained, we declare that everything in this Declaration of Rights is accepted out of the general powers of government and shall forever remain inviolate, which means that it doesn't matter what 
the legislature thinks if it's in the, the Alabama Constitution, the first 36 sections, the uh, the Alabama Constitution has like, I forget how many, I mean, it's the longest constitution in the, in the United States. Has uh, Well, I mean, here, we'll, we'll go back. It has 772 amendments. It is the longest constitution in the United States. 772 amendments, along with 287 sections. It's essentially a thousand sections long. And people thought the U.S. Constitution was tough to get through. This thing is a monster, right? So Section 36 says that, look, it doesn't matter what you say. If it's contained in its first 36 sections, you can't do it. So this is interesting. So what does this mean if you look at the, at the uh, Alabama Constitution? Um, if you look at, uh, for example, um, your suspension of laws, that no power of suspending law should be exercised except by the legislature. So therefore, we get, well, can the governor suspend laws? Hmm. Well, no. But if the legislature says the governor can suspend laws, can the governor then suspend laws? This is interesting because you get into that. Well, it doesn't say the legislature can't do that. But, of course, Section 36 of the Alabama Constitution does say that it doesn't matter what you do, you can't do it. Um, of course, it does say uh, religious freedom. That no religion shall be established by law, that no preference shall be given by law to any religious sect, society, denomination, or mode of worship, or mode of worship. That no one shall be compelled by law to attend any place of worship, nor to pay any tithes, taxes, or other rate for building or repairing any place of worship, or maintaining any minister or ministry. That no religious test shall be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the state. And that the civil rights, privileges, and, and capacities of any citizen should not be in any manner affected by his religious principles. Mode of worship. No preference shall be given for mode of worship. It does not mean, I mean, you're getting some gray areas here. Can they shut down assembly? So I would say they can't in the state of Alabama. I mean, this is my opinion. Of course, you, you would get arrested for these things if you went ahead with it. And then you'd have to fight it in court and you'd have to prove your position. So... I mean, this is why people generally don't do this. They say, all right, well, look, I don't want to, I don't feel like getting arrested. Um, and this is, I mean, this is where we are, right? So, I mean, and is it in your best interest to go with an infectious disease to these things anyways? I mean, this is, this is common sense. This is where think locally, act locally. You know, you got to take care of your own house first. Um, the, uh, I'm looking for the section here and I, I had it and then I, uh, and then I uh, lost it, uh, where you have the right to assemble. It's further down the list. Um, here it is, Section 25. That the citizens have a right in a peaceable manner to assemble together for the common good and to apply to those invested with the power of government for redress or grievances or other purposes by petition, address, or remonstrance. So, Again, if you're denying people showing up at the state house in Montgomery the ability to gather there, you are violating Section 25 of the Alabama State Constitution, and therefore it is no law, because Section 36 clearly says you cannot abridge this. Now, 
The response to that would be, well, wait a second. Alabama statute clearly says we have the ability to do this. Because the governor can declare a state of emergency. And they can declare a state of emergency. If there is, according to Alabama statute section 31-9-3, widespread exposure to an infectious or toxic agent that poses a significant risk of substantial future harm to a large number of people in the affected population. So because of that, the governor can then declare a state of emergency. And of course, section 31-9-8, the emergency powers of the governors. This is done through an act of the legislature in 1955, amended in 2006 and 2009, and 2014 through 17. Okay, so 1955, you have to understand, this was in the context of the Cold War. This is why the Cold War is so problematic in American history, because of the Cold War, Americans lost a substantial amount of liberties because of the fear of nuclear attack, and that's just, or a biological attack, and that's essentially what this was targeted at. Essentially, in a state of emergency, according to to Section 31-9-8, the governor can do anything they want to do. The governor can do anything they want to do. For example, Section 6, to employ such measures and give such directions to the state or local boards of health as may be necessary, reasonably necessary for the purpose of securing compliance with the provisions of this article or with the findings or recommendations to such boards of health by reason of conditions arising from any attack or any threat of enemy attack or otherwise. Uh, to pro- the proclamation of the state of public health emergency, so activate the disaster response and recovery aspects of the state, local, and interjurisdictional disaster emergency plans in the affected political subdivisions or geographic areas. Such declaration authorizes the department deployment, I'm sorry, and use of any forces to which the plans apply and the use or distribution of any supplies, equipment, and materials and facilities assembled, stockpiled, or available pursuant to this article. When a state of public health emergency has been declared or terminated, the State Board of Health shall inform members of the public on how to protect themselves and what actions are being taken to control the emergency. Now, it says you can't confiscate your firearms in this. I mean, that's good. Um, it does say to perform and exercise such other functions, powers, and duties as are necessary to promote and secure the safety and protection of the civilian population. So you're looking at wide-ranging powers here. It's very ambiguous. It's very ambiguous in what the governor can do. Um... It says to procure by purchase, condemnation, seizure, or other means, construct, lease, transport, store, maintain, renovate, and distribute materials and facilities for emergency management without regard to the limitations of any existing law. Provided that this authority should not be exercised with regards to newspapers, wire facilities, leased or owned by news services and other news publications. Provided further that he or she shall make compensation for the property seized or taken or co- comment, uh, condemned Excuse me, on the following basis. So... I mean, look, there's wide-ranging powers here, 
does this directly violate the law, the, the Constitution of the state of Alabama? I mean, you can make a case it does, but you're going to have to go to court to try to cash all this out. In the meantime, you're going to be arrested for these things. So I've said before, and I'm going to say again, look, we don't want to follow an incorporationist doctrine because you're putting all your eggs in the, in the central government. You're nationalizing everything. If the actions of a state violate the state constitution, and we've never, look, we never had a nuclear attack, thank God. We never had anything since 1955 that's compared to this and what the governors are doing now. This is this is uncharted territory. Now, we've had natural disasters. We've had hurricanes. We've had tornadoes. And in those particular cases, people don't blink an eye at it. All right, we've got a hurricane that's come through. It's wiped out a complete area. we got to get some help down there. we got to suspend things. we got to... I have a, a colleague of mine, uh, years ago, there was a hurricane that went through uh, Florida and wrecked part of Florida. And the guy was there, his brother was there, brother-in-law was there, and he was walking down the road and picked up, he lived in this area, lived, his house was in the area. So they usually shut these places off to anybody who doesn't live. He lived there. He walked and he picked up a piece of debris the police saw him pick up a piece of debris, and they arrested him and dragged him off to jail. Now, that was an abuse of power. He lived in the area. They they arrested him for um, uh, looting. I mean, ridiculous. He picked up a piece of wire off the ground and arrested him for looting. Ridiculous. Here's where you have nincompoops doing things. But the fact is, we don't blink an eye then, but maybe we should. This all comes down to the, to the, when we talk about liberty and we talk about protections and we talk about what we want to do, you need to have some personal responsibility in all this. If, if, if people had personal responsibility, if they were sick and they stayed home, if they wore a mask, if they think they're going to get infected, if they wore gloves, if they did things to protect themselves, that's all you can do in all of this. The government cannot keep you safe forever. And of course, it's destroying the economy by doing it. It's destroying um, society by doing these things. And some of it, I understand vulnerable populations, there are, we need to take precautions when there's a massive pandemic and some things going on. We don't know the extent of this. We don't know. There's a lot of things that are so unknown about this, how to combat it, how long it's even been here. I mean, you've got Cuomo in New York saying 21% of the New York population has antibodies. I think it's probably higher than that. We know that in some places they're getting tests that show that thousands of people have been exposed to COVID-19 and they only have a couple of hundred cases. So how many people actually have antibodies? And if that's the case, is the death toll so much lower than what we've been led on to? Yes, it's killing people. We have infectious disease kill pe- diseases kill people every single day, and that's a tragedy. It always is. But how? I mean, do we do we just completely give up liberty? I mean, these are these are real questions that we have to ask. And where is the? I'm looking at this from a legal standpoint. Where is the legal standing to do these things? You're going to have to challenge these things in court. There's no way around it. The governors and the mayors are going to do these things no matter what. And uh, But we have to get away from the national argument, the Bill of Rights Incorporation, and start focusing on the states. If we're talking about First Amendment protections, look at Article I protections in your state constitution. Go after your legislatures and your governors in that way and say, wait a second here, where is your power to do this? 
if you want to challenge these things in any particular way, do not rely on the Bill of Rights. It is a bad argument. North Carolina's done it. Every well, You're violating our First Amendment rights. No, you're violating the Article One rights or your own state constitution Bill of Rights. Those are the things that you're violating, and those are the things we should be focusing on. Think locally. Act locally. I think you could see a situation where certain areas, and there's an article in Lou Rockwell talking about this today, where some places are going to open back up, and the problem is you're going to see people from other areas flood into those particular states, and that's going to create hot spots in those states. So what those states need to do, as I've said in a previous podcast, no foreigners. Keep them out. Uh, do not allow, this is what Delaware was doing, do not allow people from other states to come into your state. Just close the borders. And they can do this legally. Okay, in a public health situation. You cannot come in here. You're, if you're a state, if you live in our state, you're free movement. But you cannot come into our state if you're not from our state. Close the borders. There you go. So, I mean, this is something that could we could address the situation that way too. All right, I've gone really long in this particular show, but I wanted to address these things. So I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.